Okay, we're going to start here on the top of Nun Vav Aleph by the two dots, about 15 lines down from the top. We're continuing the thematic positions that we see from Rav Shmuel Bar Nachmani and Rav Yonatan, where there are a number of individuals who on the surface look like they sinned, and each time they make the same statement. And here we have it about David Amalek. Rav Shmuel Bar Nachmani and Rav Yonatan, Kulomer David Chata, Enu Anybody who says that David sinned, it's making a big mistake. Shinamar. So they quote a Pasuk, and this is the difficult part of this. David was doing well, smart, intelligent about everything he did. And God was with him. How could it be that he sinned and the Shekhinah is with him? The difficulty with this is, the quote that we just had is from Shmuel Aleph. That's before he had the hate with David and Bathsheba. They bring a proof from a puzzle that says God is with him, but God is with him prior to anything he's done. Wrong. Many of the Farshim tried to explain that Hashem wouldn't have been with somebody who in the future would sin, that it's an indication that if Hashem's with him, that he comes from someone's Muyuchaset, and therefore he remained Muyuchas. All different types of explanations, but that is probably one of the weakest links of this piece, which is that you bring a proof from something that really doesn't indicate anything about the future of David Amalek. So then what do I do with the Pasuk when Natana Navi appears to David and chastises him for the incident with Bacheva? It gives the mashal of the poor person and the rich person, how the rich person steals the tzone of the poor person. He says, How could it be that you denigrated the word of Hashem to do this bad or this evil? So he says, Not that he really did it, but that you wanted to do this and it was not successful. So Rav says, Rabbi, who is a descendant of David, went out of his way to look for merits or something that would exonerate David Amelech. Madua Bazita Dvarashem Lasotara, Rabbi Amar, Mishune Ra'a Zumikora Ochi Batora. This Ra'a, when it's used here in the Torah, in the context, is different than anywhere else it's used. Shagora Ochi Batora, Ktibu Bayas, it says already in the past tense. Bagan Ktiv Lasot, in the future tense. Shibikesh Lasot, Velasa. That he intended to do it, but he did not do it. So the change in the verb that is used to introduce that, he says, indicates that he really didn't do something wrong. He rather thought about doing something wrong, was not successful. What does that mean, something? Very good question. We're, you know, I, I didn't explain it yet, because the Gemara is going to explain something, and then we'll come back, and I'll, I'll explain it. So now we have to deal with the next line in the Pasuk there, that Natanavi says, which is that you killed Uriah by the sword. Should have brought him to court and had due process, a judicial review. And you didn't, you did it on your own. And he took his wife as your wife. Oh, you were successful at marrying her. That's the one that's really taken out of context. It's clear that he's criticizing him for taking Bacheva. And here the Gemara says, oh, you were successful at marrying Bacheva. Anybody goes to war. Amongst the armies of Beit David, Kotev get kritut liishto. He writes a divorce bill to his wife. Shneamar, how do you know this? This is back in Shmuel Aleph. Betaseret charitzei chalav ha'ile, and these uh, ten milk cheeses. Tavi lesara Aleph. You take him to the commander, the captain of the thousand. So somebody who is over the troops. Betachecha tifkod shalom. 
And go visit your brothers and check on them. See that they are doing well. Ve'et arubatam tikach. And you should take for them a, a sign. The way the Gemara is interpreting it is, my arubatam, tani rav Yosef, dvarim amburavim beino lebeina. Something that has to do with issues between husband and wife. So the suggestion is that David Melech was sent by his father Yishai to visit his brothers on the front lines again in the battle against Goliath. And he sends him with food and other provisions, both for his brothers and for their commanders, so that they also will be happy and pleased with them. And then he says to him, I'll take care of them, give them a sign. The Gemara Darshan's on that, that he took from them their gitin for their wives. He went to collect the gitim and bring them back for their wives. So now, let's understand what that means. Rashi claims that the way this worked was that they sent the Greg Pitut, they sent a divorce bill out tonight. That was done on condition. The condition was that if I die in the battle, then I am divorced me'achshav from now. Works retroactively that the get becomes effective immediately if I die in the battle. And sometimes he is a little bit busy and he doesn't send the divorce bill immediately. He doesn't do it before he leaves. He's packing up for the war. He's leaving, so he doesn't do it. So once he reaches the war front, then he sends it back to his wife. But that get, then if the soldier dies in the war, well, number one, protect the woman from a number of things. If she doesn't have children, it'll protect her from having to do yibum. If she does have children, it can also protect her from being an aguna. For any reason, there's nobody to identify the body, or they don't know if he came back, didn't come back, then she's again, she's safe, and she doesn't have to worry about it. And the last possibility is if he's taken captive and they don't know and there's no information, then at least the, the wife is freed from being in a guna. So that was the reasons to send the get. Actually, he claims it was done out tonight on condition that he dies. He doesn't die, he just uh, disappears if he doesn't come back. Right, it's if you don't come back from Archea if you don't come back from the battle, then the assumption is that that's enough to trigger the get. We're assuming. What's, what, what's it says that if I don't return from the battle, then this divorce is effective. So if he doesn't return from the battle, that's it. doesn't matter why he doesn't return from the battle. You can make the statement in a way that it protects it. It actually says that if I die, but if you're protecting her from all these things, it just says that if I don't return from the battle, then the get is effective. The problem is that it is a get out tonight. The Mishnah at the end of Gitin actually has a machloket tanaim. What's the status of a woman? When you give a get that says, Me'achshav, that the get is effective, if when I die, or something to that effect. Which means that the get's always there until the day that he dies, but it's effective immediately. What's the status of the woman in the interim period? So Rabbi Yehuda believes she's an Eshadish Lagamre, she's a full-fledged wife, and someone who engages with her would then be Chayav Mita, Chayav Arayot. The other Tano says that she's not here, not there. She's half, half Eshadish, half not. But nobody says that it's permissible to be together with this woman. Right. It would even be for the husband. That is correct. Even for the husband. So that's Tosafot's issue with the way Rashi formulates it. On the other hand, the Rabbeinu Tam believes that there was no Tanai. They were given a get, and that was it. Period. They divorced their wives before they left, and it was a full, effective get immediately. And then they come back afterwards, and they remarried her. It wasn't around as long as you're not a Kohen. That was an issue of... Right, the Kohanim in general went out to battle, but not to the actual physical battle, front lines necessarily. It was an effective get, and then he came back. So he avoids all these problems of the condition, so on and so forth. He does run into a problem because the Gemara of calls 
what David did, David Amalekh did here, Safek Eshadish. So why is she called a Safek Eshadish? He says because they divorced in private. It wasn't a public divorce, it was a private divorce. Not to make a big stink about it, a big deal about it, because they were leaving for Machim al they assumed they were coming back. So it wasn't something that was made into a public issue. So that's how he explains Safek Eshadish. Either way, now going back to Rocky's question, okay, what was it that David thought about doing bad and didn't? So this is what happened. He considered to being together with Batsheva, but she had yet to receive the get. So she pushed him off until she got the get before he engaged with her. So that would be the answer to the previous question about he thought about doing something wrong and he didn't do it. That's one possibility. And that's what Rashi explains that David wait. He waited before Kodim Shekibullah get, before she got the get. That would be the answer to the question of that previous statement in the Gemara. All right, so now we have one more problem, which is, You killed Uriachiti. By the sword of Bnei Amon. Remember, David disposes of Uriah by sending a message back with him to Yoav in the battle and says, listen, I want you to go out to battle, put him in the front lines, and when he's in the front lines, I want you to bring him close to the wall and leave him there, basically, in order that he gets overtaken by the enemy in the battle. So that's the request that David makes. And here in the criticism by Natana Navi says, you killed him, by the Cherub Bnei Amon, by the sword of Bnei Amon. Ma Cherub Bnei Amon, just like by Cherub Bnei Amon, you're not punished for whatever they do. You are not punished for that which was done over here. My time, huh? What's the reason you're not being punished over here? Why was David okay for killing Uriachiti? Because he basically rebelled against the king. Because he said to him, Uriachiti, who says something that is very right, and truthfully he's almost innocent in this, David Amalek invited Uriachiti back from the battle. His hope was that through that he could cover up the incident. By having Uriachiti go back home to his wife, who was now, but had sent message to David, she was pregnant. If he got Uriachiti to be together with his wife, then it would not be clear who impregnated the woman, and that would clean up or cover up the whole incident. So he calls Uriachiti back from the battle, and after David sees him, he says, please go back to your house. Uriachiti refuses to go back to his house and says, my master Yoav, and the servants of my master, meaning referring to David then, are out in the battle. Chonim camped on the battlefield, and I should go back home? I don't feel right about the fact that everybody else is out at the front lines in the battle, and that I should go home and be together with my wife. Just truly, he was noble, you know, sympathetic to what was going on with his fellow troops. And he refuses to go home, and then he ends up sleeping there. At Nisat Melech, he sleeps there right at the entranceway to the palace, and then David eventually sends him back with the message, his own death warrant. He sends him back to Yoav. So here he was married by Machut. According to Rashi, he's married by Machut because he says, Adoni Yoav, Abde Adoni. He calls Yoav his master in front of the king. There's nobody that's a master in front of the king, Rashi says, and that was the problem married Machut. Tosafot says that's very difficult. He doesn't imply here, and truthfully his statement is very, very clear and passive. He's not trying to appoint Yoav to be a master over David. He's not being Mechabel Yoav instead of David as his master. And therefore, Tosafot says the problem here is not that he said that the new Yoav, but rather that he didn't go. He didn't listen to the king. The king said go, and he didn't go to his house. So therefore, he was Morid b'machut. Now, technically, Morid b'machut, the Gemara in Megillah says, does not need a Beitin. So that would undermine what we said before. We were implicating him for not taking him to Beitin. Tosafot says you don't need a Beitin. So Tosafot comes out with a compromise and says that 
It's not true. Marei B'malchut does need a Beit Din, but it does not have all of the due process that's given to other people that are put on trial. He does have to go before a judicial review to make sure that it was Marei B'malchut, but he doesn't get the additional benefits of them waiting overnight, seeing if they can find additional Eskuyot. Those are suspended in this case. So that's what it means over here, that it does require a Beit Din, even though Marei B'malchut doesn't require a full due process. So now, Amar Rav, Ki mayanet bebe David, lo meshkachat bar mid'uriah. If you look in carefully at the life of David, you don't find anything else that he did wrong, except this incident with Uriah. Dikhtif, because the Pasuk says later on in Malachim Aleph, at the time of Aviyam, who is the son of Rechavam, who takes over the kingship from his father Rechavam, it says that God is angry at the kings because of what they're doing, but he keeps someone from the Davidic line on the throne because... He loves David HaMelech. David HaMelech is great. Only thing that David HaMelech ever did wrong was There the puzzle lays it out and says that with the exception to this issue, he was totally clean and he was totally fine. Rashi, or it seems that others take this literally, which is, means that the only issue was with Uriah This is not a term that is describing the whole incident with Uriah Meaning Uriah plus Bacheva. So a lot of the Rishonim don't do that. They just say, Uriah and that's it. Others look at it as more expansive, including Uriah plus Bacheva. Tosafot asks right away, what about the incident at the end of Shmuel Bet, the incident at the end of David's life, with the Malach Hamavet, where he goes and counts B'nai Israel. Then B'nai Israel, there's a huge Magifa in B'nai Israel. That's where the beginning of Tachanun comes from, where Yomar David El-Gad, Sarli Ma'ot, it comes from there. Tosafot says that's a minor violation, that's not something that would be counted. Nobody would look at that as a serious violation, and therefore, it's not an account. What we're looking for here are serious violations. So Umar says, Abaye Kashisha, the elder Abaye, Rami, the Rav Adrav. He points out a stira in the position of Rav. Did Rav really say such a thing that David's only sin was by Uriah David also accepted Lashonara. Umar says, Kasha. That is a good question. Because Rav did make both of those statements, and therefore it wasn't just Uriah It's also the addition of Lashonara. So Gufa, the Gemara wants to know, Rav Amar Kibil David Lashon Where did David accept Lashon Ra? Because it says, early on in Shmuel Bet, David HaMelech has now ascended the throne, he has now become the king over all of Klal Yisrael. And remember that he had a covenant with his very close friend, Yonatan. Yonatan was the son of Shaul, he was very close with. At that point in time, he goes and searches and says, are there any descendants left in the family of Shaul, really, to Yonatan? And they do find, they find that he has a child, one child that is left, and his name is Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was injured very early on in his life, when he's about five years old, the battle at Har Gilboa, where Shaul and Yonatan are killed, happens. The word gets back to the palace, that the Plishtim have overrun, have killed the king of Israel and the crown princess's children, and B'nai Israel have scattered, and they're in defeat. The fear was then that the Plishtim's next move would be come to the king's palace, as was common in their day, and kill anybody who was a descendant of the king. So the maidservants in the palace take Mephibosheth, who is a living descendant, and run out with him. They try to take off with him. In doing so, they fell. One of them fell, and he broke his legs. And upon they break his legs, and their day, if you broke your legs, that was the end. They really couldn't fix them, they couldn't straighten them out. And therefore he remained as a chigir, he remained lame the rest of his life. He was unable to walk. He was then taken outside. They knew that David would eventually ascend the kingship. And he went and hid basically somewhere over the Yardane, by Ivar Yardane, in order not to be found by David and killed out. 
David now is searching for a descendant of Shaul, and he finds out from Tziva, Tziva, who is a servant, or was a servant, in the house of Shaul, he now is basically managing all the properties of Shaul HaMelech. David HaMelech himself did not take the properties of Shaul HaMelech, but Tziva, a servant that was in his household, now became the executor of all of them, and basically has become a free man. He was a servant, and now he has vast properties, vast wealth, he has many servants that are working for him because he's now the controller of all these properties. There's no other descendant who has the ability to deal with this. David gets this tziva and asks him, is there any descendant left to Shaul? But Yomalo, HaMelech, the king says to tziva, this descendant that you mentioned, where is he? Vayomer tziva HaMelech, tziva responds to the king, Below Davar. Now, below Davar is spelled in the Pasuk with that Aleph. It's below Davar. He was found in a place called Lod Davar. They sent out messengers and they bring him back to the king. And it's pretty clear that the way Mephibosheth feels once he gets to Davina Melech is that David's brought him back to kill him. That he's going to wipe out the remainder of Shaul. And he basically pleads before the king. He says, I'm a servant to the king. Whatever you want. He's a very, very humble, self-effacing individual. And David Melech, in his tremendous chesed, brings him onto the table of the king and gives him rights to eat with the king for the rest of his life and really gives him a tremendous position in terms of his honor, in terms of his standing, despite the fact that David has taken over for Beit Shaul. The Gemara says, So we see here that Siva is a liar. How do you see that Siva is a liar? This is what the Gemara dashes from Lodavar. The Gemara says that when Tziva indicated to David there was a descendant left in Lodavar, they're reading it as Lodavar with Adlamid Aleph, that he had nothing. He was not a Talmud Chacham, he had no schooling in Torah, he wasn't a worthwhile individual. And sure enough, when he shows up into the, by David, David realizes that he's not the case. That he actually was a person that had token, had some strength of character, as well as was knowledgeable in Torah. That's why it's Lodavar, Lamed Vav, that he did have what was in him. So David already knew that Siva was not necessarily the bastion of truth. But then we have another incident with Siva. When Siva then tells Lashon Aranim, my time Why did David accept it from him? So Gemara is now about to retell another story about Siva, which is during merit of Shalom. During the rebellion, when Avshalom takes over, David makes a strategic decision to leave Yerushalayim before Avshalom gets there. He leaves Yerushalayim and packs out and starts heading out towards Harazitim. When he leaves the city, he leaves behind Pilak Shod in the palace to take care of the palace. And others that were loyal to David were left behind. Some of those that were loyal to David run after David when he's leaving the city. David tells some of them to go back to the city, including the Kohanim who come with the Aaron Hashem. He says... Hashem will decide if I will see the Aaron Hashem again. It's an unbelievable statement by David. His emunah in Hashem and his belief that Hashem will make the choice, the right choice here. He doesn't know he's coming back. But he says, take the Aaron back. It's not for me to take the Aaron. God will choose whether I see the Aaron or not. So he sends the Kwanim back into the city, as well as telling them that they could be spies for him. Their children could be spies for him. Also, Hushai Ha'arki, who later becomes a Yoetz, an advisor to the king of Shalom, an advisor to David, he sends it back, he says, you're too old to come with me, go back, and try to undermine the advice of Achitofel, who was the other advisor that had teamed up with Shalom, and that's what his job was, and he succeeds at doing that, and that's actually what wins the entire battle for David in terms of the rebellion of Shalom. So here, Siva was one of those individuals that met David as he's leaving the city. 
Tziva, the servant of Beit Shaul, who had then ascended to be a huge person. David Melech, after he brings Mephibosheth back from Lodavar, says that Mephibosheth will be in charge of all the properties, and Tziva will be his servant. So David did something pretty drastic to Tziva, which is Tziva had now become this wealthy free man. And once he brings Mephibosheth back, he basically subjugates him back to being an Eved to Mephibosheth. Tziva comes running out of the city to chase after David. And then David says to him, what are you doing here? And where is your master? The king says, Where is the son of your master? Meaning that, where is Mephibosheth? Tziva responds to the says, He stayed in Yerushalayim. Now, here you don't have the remainder of the Pasuk, which is the most incriminating part, which is that he says he stayed in Jerusalem because he thought, now this is my chance to become king. Beit David had taken over. I'm the remnant of Beit Shaul. I'm going to take over as the king. That is what Siva lies and tells David that Mephibosheth was intending to do by staying in Jerusalem. The biggest problem with this is that it's so uncharacteristic of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, we saw earlier, is a self-effacing Humble person, number one. Number two is, he's a chiger, is a lame. And nobody would accept in those days a chiger to be the leader of the country, to be the melech as a chiger, was not possible. That's still true today. In politics, people need people who are handsome, good-looking, to be their leaders. It's really only happened once where you've had such a leader that was in a wheelchair and that was able to remain as president. In the United States, right? FDR. Because the press worked with him. The press cooperated and only took pictures of him from his waist upwards so nobody could see it. These types of things where it's not really acceptable to be the king. So that's another reason why Mephibosheth would not have been king. And the last of them is that the Navi describes Shalom as being the most handsome, beautiful man in Klal Yisrael. So he's going to then lead a rebellion to put Mephibosheth in place as the king. The whole claim doesn't make so much sense. It's really a far-fetched claim. Siva makes this claim, and David accepts it. How do we know that he accepted it? Because, what's David's response when Siva brings this news? He says, He gives back to Siva everything that he had given to Mephibosheth. He now basically does 180 degrees on what he had done before he gave Mephibosheth everything that Siva was running. Now he gives it all back to Siva. So Siva says, He bows down, so he says, I want to find favor in your eyes, my master, the king. What David did was reverse everything he had done before, and now believes Tziva that Mephibosheth stayed in the city to be a part of the rebellion. David really did not accept Loshonara, even though the Psukim are pretty evident that David believes Tziva over here, and reacts to believing Tziva by giving him all the property of Mephibosheth. Nevertheless, Shmuel comes to his defense and says, Tavrim anikarim chazabe. He saw something about Mephibosheth that indicated that there was something wrong. Dichtiv, O Mephibosheth ben Shaul, Yerad, Likrat HaMelech, Velo Asa Raglav, Velo Asa Sfamo, Vet Bagadav Lokibes. This is talking about upon David's return to Yerushalayim, after Avshalom is killed and the rebellion is quelled, David returns to Yerushalayim. On his return to Yerushalayim, there are a number of individuals that come out to greet him. 
Some of them, individuals had not been so kind or had not been good to him on the way out, including Shimi ben Gera. And in addition to that, one of those people that came out to greet him was Mifiboshet. And it says, when Mifiboshet came out to greet him, he comes out and he looks totally unkempt. He comes to greet the Melech, he didn't clean his legs, he didn't fix his mustache, his beard, he didn't launder his clothes. Basically, he was be'avelut. Uchtiv, v'hi ki Yerushalayim likrat ha-Melech, Says to Mephibosheth, basically the question he asked, Siva, why didn't you come with me? Why didn't you leave Yerushalayim with me as part of the rebellion? Now the question is really out of place. We know that Mephibosheth is linked. He can't move. It's very hard for him to come and to get on a donkey and he wouldn't move fast. David, who sends him back, when he sends him back into Yerushalayim, says, you're too old. You're not going to keep pace with us. Go back to the city. So how was he expecting Mephibosheth to keep pace with him? Vayomer, Adonia Melech Avdi Rimani. Now the whole truth comes out. My servant tricked me. Kiamar li chamor. I said to Tziva, get me a donkey ready. And then I'll ride it. Velech et Melech. And then I will go see the king on his departing from Yushalayim. Kipiseach. Because I am lame. Avdecha. Viragel ba'avdecha. El Adonia Melech. And instead, my servant tricked me and raced out to you. And my master, the king, is like an angel of God. And do as you please. So you see again, by the way, the tremendous personality of Mephibosheth, how his humility, his self-effaceiveness, he tells him here what happened, and then he says, I'm in your hands. You can decide what to do, whatever you think is right. He says, don't speak anymore. Amarti, my conclusion is, You will divide up the properties of Beit Sheol. Says you can take everything. Since you came back in peace, back to the palace, I am fine. It's just for me, the only thing that matters is that you've returned and that you're safe. Whatever you do with the property, I don't really care. So now, the Gemara Darshids, and again, this is completely out of context, it is not the Pshat and the Tsukim, but what Shmuel says here is that he didn't accept Lashon Ra, he saw that Mifiboshet wasn't really so happy. Why is that? I awaited here in the city saying, you know, when will you come back in peace? And this is what you do to me? I don't have complaints against you. Rather against the one above who brought you back in peace. So there are two ways to read this. One way is to read it is that he was upset about the outcome. And that all he did, and he was, he was waiting for David to come back. Finally goes out to greet David, and he's upset about the way that David treated him. He's not upset at David, he's upset that God allowed this to happen, and that this was the outcome. That's one way to read it. The other way to read it is the way Rashi does. Rashi says that Mishviboshet was actually upset because... As long as David did not return to Yerushalayim, the promise to give all the property to Tziva would never be carried out. When David gives the promise to Tziva that you can have all the property of Mephibosheth, David's no longer the king at that point. He's left Yerushalayim, he's now heading out to the Mabrota Yardin, and almost abdicated the throne. He has no power to ensure that this is going to happen. The only way that that gift will be successful is if David returns to the throne. So that's the problem here. That's what is being said or being hinted at by Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth says, I was awaiting to see if you would come back in peace. Not for the positive side, but for the negative side. Because if you came back in peace, I'm going to lose all my property. And so I have Taromet against God that he allowed you to come back in peace. Because had you come back, had not come back in peace, everything would have remained the same and I would have kept my property. 
Now that you came back, the gift goes through. That's why he was Bavelut. That's the claim, or that's what Rashi says. The claim of David is, he sees him Bavelut, and he gets wind of the fact that when Mephibosheth says he came back peacefully, he's not really speaking the truth. He's saying, yeah, you came back in peace, and look what's going to happen now. I'm going to lose everything. That's why David Melech accepted the statement of Tziva, because he saw that Mephibosheth was a little tenuous about David's return to Yerushalayim. And that's why he looks like he's Bavelut, and that's why he's upset about the return of David, because now the gift will go through. That's what it means in Divrei Yomim, when it gives the lineage of Shaul. It says, Uben Yonatan. Yonatan had a son called Meriv Baal. Chimibirav Shmo, is that his name? Balo Mifiboshet Shmo. We bumped into him. We know his son's name is Mifiboshet. Then we talk Shasam Mirivain Balav. But because he was arguing or doing battle with his master, over here his master is not David, meaning Hashem. Therefore, Yatzbad Bokol Vamralo, a heavenly voice came out and said to him, Natsa Bar Natsa, the fighter, the son of the fighter. Natsa Hadamran, he was the fighter because we just described above that he was upset about what had happened with Hashem. Bar Natsa doesn't mean the, his father, but his grandfather Shaul, Dichtiv, Vayavo Shaul at Iramalek, when Shaul goes to fight the Amaliki, and then he quarrels in the river, in the riverbed. Now the Gemara takes that and says, what do you mean? Why is he fighting in the Nachal? He should be fighting with Amalek. What does that mean that he fought in the Nachal? He was fighting about the issue of the Nachal. There's a mitzvah in the Torah that involves the Nachal, which is Eglar Rufa. And Eglar Rufa is brought in an incident or in a case where Someone is killed, and we don't know who the murderer is. And then we have to bring an Eglah Rufa. So, Shaul makes the claim over here. Wait a minute. Here, you're asking me to go kill Adam Malik. You're asking me to kill. Fine. And soldiers, the armed men, that's fine. But you also want me to kill the animals. You want me to kill the miners. You want me to kill the women. What does it have to do with the battle? What does it have to do with what have they done wrong that I should have to kill them out? If, for one individual, we bring an Eglah Rufa, here I'm going to massacre, annihilate a whole nation? How could I do that? So he was arguing or had questions about the Tzivu Yashem. Obviously the Gemara here is giving background as to why he didn't and, and follow the Tzivu Yashem and he left the animals alive and violated the word of Shmuel to annihilate Amalek because he was Merachim on them. Because David, I mentioned this before, that David saw in Mephibosheth that there was some tenuity in his response when he said, oh, I'm really happy that you're back. He was kind of saying that half-heartedly. Really happy you're back, and that's why he looked Avelut. Right? David gets wind of the fact that he's really upset that David returned. Because when David's returning, it ensures that the gift to Tziva would go through. And then Mephibosheth would lose everything. He ended up splitting it. He said, no, you'll get half of it back. I'll give you half back. So he doesn't give him it all back. He doesn't believe him entirely. He believed, first of all, he believed Tziva front and gave it all to Tziva. And even when he goes to rectify it, he says, you'll split the property. You're not going to get the whole property back. Gemara continues. You and Siva will split the land. Get stabat ko. Heavenly voice come out. Vamralo rechavam viiravam yachluku etamlucha. They will divide up the kingdom. Meaning that that was put in place. David's slight here of Mifiboshet, his bad judgment with regards to what happened here, caused that the melucha, that the kingship would be taken away from him and split later on. Had David not accepted Lashon Ra, first of all, it would not have been a division between Israel and Yehuda. 
Velo Abdu Yisrael Avod Azarah. B'nai Yisrael wouldn't have been worshipped Avod Azarah because Yeravam, as the king, puts in place the Agadim in Beit El and Dan, prevent B'nai Yisrael from going back to Yehuda to the Beit HaMikdash. Velo Galinu Me'aretzeinu, and then we went and had Galut. And in this little incident here where David has a miscarriage of justice is the precursor or the cause which eventually leads to the destruction of B'nai Yisrael and their Galut from the land. Regarding that's only Rav's statement. Shmuel said he didn't accept Lashon Rav. And these were all statements of Rav Yudah in the name of Rav. Rav, who believes... Rav said before, Rav said, first of all, he did sin by Uriah Achiti. Rav also said he was Mikab Lashon Rav. So all these statements are in the position of Rav, who believes that David did sin. And over here, it's a continuation of what he said, that David accepted Lashon Rav. Shmuel is in the position that he didn't accept Lashon Rav. He could be together with the statements that we have. Amar Shmuel Bar Nachmani, Amar Yonatan, that also say, Komer David Chata, Inuwele Tuev. Next one is, Everybody says, Shlomo Melech sinned is mistaken, Shinamar. It says, towards the end of his life, the end of his reign, it says, David Aviv. says that his heart was not Shalem and Hashem like the heart of his father David. Sure, he wasn't up on the level of David Melech, but he didn't necessarily sin. Similar to what they said about B'nai Shmuel. B'nai Shmuel didn't do like their father. So the Gemara before said, oh, they didn't do like his father, but it doesn't mean they sinned. It's the same thing over here. el we have a little problem with that, because the Psukim are pretty explicit. That when he got older, Shlomo's wives had him drawn after, drew his heart after other gods. We'll answer that based on the position of Rabbi Natan. The Rabbi Natan Rami, Ktiv, and doesn't the other pasuk say He wasn't like his father, but he didn't sin. So one of the psukim seems to me that he did sin, and one says he doesn't sin. So the answer is they tried to encourage him to do it, but he didn't go. What he can do with the other pasuk, which is even more explicit, which is. Shlomo built a Bama, built a Mizbeach, to Kmosh, the God of Moab. It says again, He intended to do it, but he stopped himself and didn't do it. Are you going to say the words Azivne mean that he wanted to, but he didn't do it? Well, that's a problem, because in Sefer Yoshua, it talks about the Mizbeach that Yoshua built at Hargizim and Harival. It says, Azivne Yoshua Mizbeach Lashem. So now what are you going to say? Yeshua wanted to build a Mizbeach and he didn't? He definitely built it. We know that. Today we found it. So it's very likely that he did build it. Also over here. That he built it. So we have to solve this problem a different way. Rashi over there says, So Gemara is giving you the interpretation of what Mashchid over there means. And here again, the Gemara has it, the Vav's in the wrong place. It should be La'ashtoret Shikutz Tzidonim. In the Melachim Bet here, we're talking about Yoshiawa Melech, who leads a revolution, a Baal revolution, and he wipes out all the Avodah Zarah. One of the things that he eliminated here are the Bamot, that are on Pnei Yerushalayim, that are on the edge of Yerushalayim. Hashem Yimin Mishka. On the right here would be north of 
Har Zaytim, Asher Banash Lama Amelech, that Shlomo Amelech built, Ashtoret Shikutz Tzidonim. To Ashtoret the God of the Tzidonim, here it's interesting, it's the, the God of Tzidonim, back before it's like Mosh Shikutz Moav, Efshar Ba'asa Velo Bi'iram, Yehoshaphat Velo Bi'iram. But how could it be that Asa and Yehoshaphat, who were good kings of Yehuda, and wiped out the Avodah they left them in place? And you've passed a number of good kings here before you get to Yoshiah HaMelech. So what are you going to suggest? All those kings that you passed, they didn't wipe out these, this of Bodhisattah. Ajibai Yoshiah will be around. Yoshiah is the first one to wipe this stuff out. Hello, They already wiped out all of Bodhisattah in earlier periods. Ela Mekish Rishonim Le'achronim. Rather, we have a parallel between the early ones and the late ones. Ma'achronim Lo'atsu. Even though Yoshiah was not the one to wipe out those Bamot, Nevertheless, Talabahan Lashevach, we said that he did it because he went ahead and wiped everything else out. Had it been there, he would have also wiped that out. So the fact that he wiped all of Arizarah out, he's given credit for everything that was there. Afrishonim, so too the earlier ones, meaning Shlomo Melech, Loasu, he didn't really put it there. But they attributed it to him, the responsibility for it to him. Vaktiv. It doesn't the Pasuk say, Vyas Shlomo Rabbe Ne Hashem. The Shlomo did bad in the eyes of Hashem. Ela Mipnei Shailo Limkot Binashav. Velo Micha Malaya Kadov Alav Kiidul Chata. Because he did not stop his wives from putting together Avodah Zarah, therefore he is called Harabe Ne Hashem. So this goes back to the beginning of the Gemara, how we got here. Here someone does not object to the actions, to the behavior of his wives. And therefore, he is attributed responsibility for the item. And answers the question before. It also answers the question of why he was Rabbi in Hashem. But also answers the question of all these activities that were done by Shlomo Melch. He didn't do them. His wives did them. But they're attributed to him because he didn't stop them from doing that. And also the Hekish that we said before. Just like the Achonim are given praise for destroying something they didn't destroy. So do Shlomo Melch is given, quote unquote, credit for putting something there that he didn't put there. He didn't put this there, his wives put it there, but he's attributed responsibility and it's under his name, just like Paratosh Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah, because he didn't object, he didn't stop them from doing it. Be better for Shlomo Melech to be a worker, an employee of Avodah Zarah, cutting wood, bringing water, not literally working at the Avodah Zarah, but doing work for the people of the Avodah Zarah. Would be better for him to be a shamash to the Avodah Zarah rather than being found in the Navi to be called someone who did evil in Hashem. Moment that Shmuel married Bat Paro, she brought into him a thousand different, whether it's music pieces or instruments. That's what we do to worship this type of Avodah That's what we do for this Avodah Zarah. He didn't stop her. Not that she was necessarily doing anything with Avodah Zarah, but he let the seed be planted of this Avodah Zarah that would come at the end of his life. Gabriel came down, put in a post, a pillar in the Mediterranean, and over time, because there was this pillar or this post there, dirt and other things gathered around it. And that was the beginning of the area that would become known as Rome. So that basically the seeds of the destruction of the Mikdash were planted at the time that Shlomo builds the Mikdash. Embedded in the building is the end, or what will, destroy the Mikdash eventually. On the day that Yeruvam put the two golden calves one in Beitel, Ve'echad Bedan, and the other one in Dan, in the north, one in the south, one in the north. Nivnet Srif Echad. On that day, one of the fishermen put up a hut on that 
island that was created at the time of Shlomo HaMelech. And that's Italy of Yavan, of the Greek Empire. The words, it probably should be that the Krach, the first one was Italy, which is at the Isthmus of Italy, is then created on this post. And the city of Rome comes from this settlement that started as one fisherman that put up a shack, later on develops into a city that will later become Rome. It was under the Greek rule. The Romans then throw off the Greek emperor, destroy the Greek emperor, throw them off, and then take control. So that was started. Italia Shalvan is the original area that was commanded by Yavan, by the Greeks, eventually becomes the Roman Empire. And that's what the Gemara is referring to, again, that these activities earlier on in the life of the Mikdash and the life of Bnei Israel caused their destruction was embedded or planted at the moment that they were created. Amar of Shmuel bar Nachmani, Amar of Yonatan. Here's the final one. Kolomer Yoshiau chata Anybody says Yoshiau sinned is mistaken. Now, in the mnemonic that they gave before the Gemara, it says Yoash. If you look on the side, the Misarat Hashah says it shouldn't be Yoash, it should be Yoshiau. So here it says Yoshiau Melech didn't sin. Why says, how's that really true? Shinemar. It says, Vayas Yashar Beine Hashem. He did that was righteous in the eyes of God. Vayelech Bechol Derech David Aviv. And he went in all the ways of David, his forefather. So now we're going to do the Pasuk. It says, There was nobody who was about Shuva like Yoshiel Amalek. Yoshiel Amalek leads a major revolution, a return to God in his reign because during his time they found the Sefer Torah. They had no idea what was written in the Sefer Torah. The Chukiel brings the Sefer Torah before Yoshiel Amalek and reads to him what's found in there. And he can't believe that all this stuff's written in the Torah. He hasn't heard of any of this stuff. And therefore he leads a huge revolution in eliminating all the Avodah Zarah and turning to Hashem. The Pasuk testifies about him. There was nobody who led a revolution of Tshuva like him. So then, how, how could that be? If he's about Tshuva, that means that he sinned before, and now he was rectifying it. So how could you say that he never sinned? So where it says, no, Shekol Din... He takes over as the king when he's 8 years old. He leads the revolution, this Baal revolution when he's 18. So from 8 to 18, he adjudicated cases as a shofet, as the king. So then he reversed them. All those cases that he adjudicated from 8 to 18, that's what he mean he did tshuva. Rectified the situation, because now that he had learned the Torah, he realized that he might have made mistakes. Maybe you think what, how he rectified it is that he reversed the decision and gave back what he had given to one person back to the other. That he did this tshuva with all his possessions, with all his money. That he used his own money to rectify the situation. So he didn't go back to the person who had won the case. Just went to the loser of the case and gave them money to rectify the situation because it might not have been done kedat vidin. This definitely argues on Rav. Rav said there's no greater balachuva than Yoshiao in his generation and someone in our generation. But it's clear from Rav that he views Yoshiao as a complete balachuva. And it's a balachuva, he clearly sinned beforehand. So Rav, once again, is the author of the position that they are a sinner. Just like he said by David Amelch, he did sin. So to over here by Yoshiao Amelch, he says that Yoshiao Amelch also did sin. So Manu, who is the one in his generation that Rav is referring to? He says it's Abba Avua the Rabbi Yirmiyab Abba. It's Abba, the father of Ramirmiah, the son of, Bar- of Abba. Obviously, if he's father of Ramirmiah, he is Abba, because he is Ramirmiah by Abba. He's the one who is the Bauchuva. And some say, Acha, Ahua the Abba, Avua the Ramirmiah Abba. It was rather, it was Ramirmiah by Abba's uncle. It's the brother of Abba. Abba, who's the father of Ramirmiah by Abba. So it was his uncle that led the Bauchuva. Damarar, Rabbi Abba v'Acha chai Abu. That Rabbi Abba and Acha were brothers. And so their brothers here were talking about he was his uncle or his father. One of the two of them did tshuva. 
Amrav Yosef, Odechad Bidoreinu. Yosef says, in our generation there's an individual, Umanu, Ukvan bar Nechemia Reish Galuta. Ukvan the son of Nechemia, who is the Reish Galuta. His name is Natan du Tzitzita. Natan, the one that shines or is bright. Rashi says, why is it Tzitzita? Shem Nitzutzim denora. Because of the sparks that came out of him, Shemalach Pashatet Yodo, Vikibel Tshuvato. The Malach put his hand out to show that he accepted his Tshuva of this individual. Lishnachrina, Sheachzoa Malach Betzitzit Rosho. The Malach grabbed him by the curls of his hair, by the wisps of his hair, and took him up because he had done tshuva. Now that's the way Rashi explains it here. Rashi and Sanhedrin and Tosafot notes the same thing. He used to walk around and had a candle that burnt over his head. He used to have a light over his head, or as the Gemara there says, Karana or Panav, Moshe Rabbeinu. That his face was illuminated, irradiated like that of Moshe Rabbeinu. That is Mar-Ukva. That Rashi over there says that about Mar-Ukva, who we bumped into earlier in the Gemara in yesterday's daf. Mar-Ukva was the Eabetin, the Reish Galuta. This Ukva in bar Rashi identifies in Sanhedrin as Mar-Ukva. And he quotes this Gemara to give evidence to what they say over there about Mar-Ukva. That Mar-Ukva was radiating like that of Moshe Rabbeinu because he was a Baal Tshuva. I'm Rabbi Yosef, Avi Yativna, Bepirka. It's one sitting in the Joshua, Vakam, and Amnaim. And I was dozing off. Chazai Bechilman, I saw in a dream the Kapashat Yadavid Kablai. I saw the Malach standing his hand and accepting him, showing that this was really a true Baal Tshuva, this Mar-Ukva, who became the Reish Kaduta, the Abbeitim. Okay, we'll stop over here at the end of the pair.